Hello, everyone. We have a great episode of Whisper in the Wings for you, but we wanted to come on before the episode to give you a quick heads up. And I know we don't normally come on before uh, the episode start, but we wanted to let you know that this interview that you're about to hear was conducted on December 12th of 2022. So you might hear a few things that seem a little dated. It might reference a few things that have come and gone, but that's the reason why this interview was done back in December 12th. But don't worry, the subject of this interview is relevant. It's about the Fire This Time Festival, which is coming up. And if you haven't gotten your tickets yet for it, please make sure you do. It's a very exciting festival. Anyway, that's enough of a plug. Please enjoy our episode of Whisper in the Wings with Caesar Williams and the Fire This Time Festival. Welcome back in listeners for another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by artistic director Caesar Williams, who is the artistic director of the Fire This Time Festival, which is part of the Frigid uh, New York. It's playing January 16th through the 29th at the Crane Theater. Um, Caesar, welcome. I'm so, so, so happy to be having you on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. I am super excited to be here with you and talking about the fire this time. So thank you for giving us this opportunity. We have had several other people talking about other festivals that are attached to Fridge in New York. Uh, and now we're having you talking about the fire this time. It is, and, and, and reading about it, I'm. this is one of the ones I've been most excited about. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about the festival? Okay, so the festival was uh, began in 2009. Our executive director and founder, Kelly Gerard, um, started with a bunch of other playwrights and theater makers. And their goal or their mission was to create a space where uh, Black writers could share their stories and their experiences without feeling like they had to tell a certain type of story to be produced. So the, it's kind of the feeling that every story written by a, a a black writer is a black story even if it's they only put white folks on the stage as long as it's not anti-black and so we've kind of moved forward with that mission through the years and we've had a lot of pretty famous playwrights come through the door and um so our mission at this point is to be uh is to amplify the career pipeline for black writers and so here we are at season 14 and we have seven incredible plays uh, on deck uh, for the festival this year. And so we're hoping people come and show out. It's, it's pay what you want. So we try to remove any kind of economic barrier to come to come see the shows. And it's a party. So enjoy. So please. That's, uh, so that's that's the festival in a, in a nutshell. Now, there, there, this next question I want to address two parts. Uh, the first one I want to direct it to um, the Fire This Time Festival um, which is how did you come up with the idea of the festival? Uh, so like I said, Kelly, Kelly Gerard was sitting around uh, looking at the landscape of opportunities for black writers. And so at the time, it very much felt like, you know, it had to be August Wilson or, or bust. Like if you weren't telling an August, 
August Wilson-esque story, you are not going to get produced. Or maybe there was some work being done by Lynn Nottage or Susan Laurie Parks, but you didn't feel like you could just tell anything. It felt like you had to fit into what PWIs or predominantly white institutions or theaters wanted you to write. And so I, I think she she created the festival from the need to have a space where Black writers could write whatever story they want. And so if you come to the festival, you'll still see that. You'll have one play that is a uh, hands up, don't shoot play or a play about uh, police brutality. And then you'll see another play that's about two uh, opera, two black opera singers and their journey, or you'll see a play about uh, puppets that has nothing to do with race or or something like that. So, or mimes, or you know, it, it could be anything. But just really to create a space where there are as few restrictions as possible. So when we send out, so when we send out the call for submissions, there's no theme. There is no um, only thing we say is it has to be ten minutes. It it could you know it could be about anything, and so that's how the festival was created. Uh, she partnered with Eris Ziv. Uh, at the time, it was called, called Horse Trade Theater, but now it's known as Frigid. And uh, Eris gave Kelly a space. It was a small space. I don't know if you know the Crane Theater or that building, but on the top floor there was a room. I think it was called the Red Room or something like that. Mm-hmm. Very small space, and they did it that first year in two thousand nine, and they sold it out. And maybe they did the first couple of years there, and then they moved down to the crane in a bigger space and just kind of built the uh, audience up. And then I'd say in the last four or five years, or at least since I've been artistic director, industry folks have started to look at the uh, Five This Time Festival as a place where they could be introduced to new playwrights. Another thing we try to do, we're not 100% with this. There's always exceptions to every rule, but we try to open up the process for playwrights where this would be their first production in New York City. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, now kind of going along with the idea or, or with the note of new playwrights, um, you also, I guess, under the umbrella of the Fire This Time Festival, you have a new works lab. Yes. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how you all came up with that? So the new works lab is kind of the brainchild of AJ Muhammad, who is our literary manager and one of our producers. And AJ has partnered up with a brilliant playwright, Cynthia Grace Robinson, and they facilitate the program. And the basic concept is to create a space where writers can just explore their process. So it's not about the product. It's not about the presentation. It's just nine months, which I always think is a nice amount of time because it reminds me of the gestational period. Uh, But for them just to create a play, it could be a new play, it could be a play that they've worked on uh, previously, but just for them to have guidance and space, you know, like that famous saying, all you need is uh, time, space, and opportunity, you know, to work on their plays in a very supportive environment. And it it pretty much, uh, the playwrights typically are, writers who are already part of the Five This Time family in some way, either they're uh, former playwrights or they're actors or designers or directors, but they usually have some sort of affiliation with the Five This Time. And we just uh, try to pull in three to four writers every year. I think this is cycle number five. So this is the fifth time we've done it. And uh, just to give them a place to work on it. And we've had some wonderful plays come through there. Um, 
and and Guzzi and Anyamu's play uh, Homecoming Queen uh, was workshop or lab did did the lab there, and uh, Khalil Kane has a play called Uncovered Wagons uh, that started there that I think is going to get produced in the very near future. So, uh, yes, just another opportunity to again expand the career pipeline for Black writers. Fantastic. So this is more like a uh, a sandbox for these writers to kind of play in and. That's the perfect out of the production. Yeah, and so we do have a midpoint reading, which we'll have this year, probably around February after the festival in January. Then we have a, a public reading. The midpoint read reading is not open to the public, but then we'll have a public reading in maybe May or early June. And then uh, it, it caps, we cap it off with a retreat where we go to this black owned uh, bed and breakfast in the Poconos called uh, Aquaba Inn. Um, and so we go up there for like maybe three, four days and give them more time to work, uh, a little bit more time to fellowship, a little bit more time to celebrate their accomplishment. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, that's I, I love that program. It's we were funded the past this cycle and the last cycle. We were funded by the, the Black Seed Fund, mm -hmm. which basically just gave a bunch of theaters um, money to do whatever pet project they wanted to do or that they needed to do. And they gave us a, a very generous sum of money so that we could run the program these last two seasons the way we would dream. Like, it's almost like if you put out your dream of how you would want to run it and what the budget would be for that, they gave you that amount. And oh, so that was a beautiful gift. So we're extremely grateful to the Black Seed Fund uh, for these past two cycles. Oh, that's fantastic. And then hopefully these, these young playwrights turn into something that you can, uh, or that they'll perform be performed at the prior this time festival i i think we don't really have a uh that's one of the things we're talking about a third phase so the so the fire this time festival has two phases so the first year the playwrights come in and they do their 10 minute play that's a full production off book props you know bare bone production the second year so this year the people who were in the festival last season will come back and they'll do a reading of a full length play and so that's typically what will go on. It might be related to what they did in the 10 minute, or it could be something completely different. But that project will typically be something that you'll see down the road at some major theater company later on. So it, it does come through the Five This Time Festival, but not always through the 10 minute play festival. The New Works Lab, we try to keep our focus off of the product or off of the presentation or off the future. It's really just a chance, like you said, a sandbox for them to play. And we try not to put any pressure on the artists uh, on what to do next. That's a really, really great working environment. So kudos for you having that. Oh, thank you. Now, how long have you been the artistic director of this festival? That is a great question. Um, I'd have to do some math. I want to say probably 2015, maybe. It was after season eight. So season nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, now 14. That's five years. So yeah, around 2016, 2017, probably, because we had the pandemic where we lost a year. In those five years, what has it been like developing uh, the festival since then? It has been one of my great joys because it's one of the areas of my life where I, I feel like I am completely in the role of service. You know, So I love being an artistic director because the job of artistic director, for those who don't know, is basically just to pull together a bunch of super talented people and give them space and resources to do their thing. 
So I love that. I love just finding new people or working with people who I've worked before and putting them all into a space and letting them create something really unique and beautiful. So that's been fun. And that's been since the very beginning. But then just kind of moving forward, this concept of giving, of, of expanding the career opportunities or giving more writers opportunity to, to make a living writing. And so that's the other thing I've been working hard on in terms of making industry connections, you know, other literary managers, other artistic directors, agents and managers, TV producers, all, all of that stuff. So that's one of the things that I, the team and I have worked on a lot. The third thing we're trying to do is, so as I mentioned before, this is season 14. After season eight, if you're in the festival, then your work was viewed by some pretty, you know, powerful people in the industry. But seasons one through seven, you know, maybe agents and managers and literary managers and artistic directors weren't coming to the festival. So the, we have a program we call the Alumni Spotlight, where we try to go back to playwrights from seasons one through seven and try to somehow use the uh, the leverage that the the festival has now to shine a little light on some of our alum from seasons one through seven. So again, the mission is always the same, expanding the career pipeline for Black writers. I love that you're you're not only taking everything going forward, but you're also bringing everything from before your time as artistic director and also bringing it along with. You're not just being like, that's all before my time. You know, you're yes. just like, no, it, it is a complete unit. We move all together. Yeah, and the good thing, I think part of what has made that helpful or easier or facilitated that process is one, once you've been in the fire this time, you're always in the fire this time. So there's a sense of community and family. So the playwrights from seasons one through seven, I see, I speak to, I support, I go see their work now. I'm still in contact with. Also, Kelly Gerard, our founder, is still, you know, working with us, still one of our producers. Kevin R. Free, who is a wonderful actor, director, writer, but was the artistic director before I was, you know, we're still in contact. So there is this continuity of the festival that has gone from season one now to season 14. So, and then if you, anybody, anyone who studies history knows that the playwrights today would not have the opportunities that they have today if it weren't for those playwrights earlier. You know, mm -hmm. that work had to be excellent. Those writers had to be uber talented for the festival to have grown the way that it has because it's not because of anything else. Like we don't have a huge marketing budget we're not on television, you know, like there's the, we've only grown because of the talent of the early writers. So I feel like we owe it to those writers who I feel like if they were in the festival season 13, they too would have an agent. They too would be in a writer's room. And so if there's any way that we can support them, we are going to do it. That is brilliant. Brilliant. Is there a message or a thought that you're hoping audiences will leave with? from any of the shows this year or just in general? So it's so funny. We don't, I think I mentioned this before, we don't have a theme when we are looking at the plays, but a theme always seems to develop just because when you're asking a whole cadre of writers to write what's on their mind, give us 10 minutes of your thoughts, there's something that's in the water, you know? And so this season, I feel like if there, if there were a theme, it would be the the need for Black people to be seen hmm. 
but also to control the manner in which they are seen. And so I hope that people who come to the festival this year will, will feel that, that Black folks, we don't wish to be invisible. We want to be valued, but we want to be valued in the way that we choose. We want to be seen in, in, in the manner in which we, we choose. I like that. I, I like that thought. And when I come, I'm, I'm definitely going to try to pay attention to that. Yeah, take a look for that in the plays. Like I said, it's seven plays. They're all over the place, you know, from Young Love to working to a, working in a Tower Records from the, the 80s and 90s to, you know, dealing with a smart house that doesn't work because the AI doesn't see black skin to classical classical uh, opera opera singers black opera singers in the 70s uh you know just uh just you know to to two black men dealing with their grief and their pain in a very positive uh supportive healthy way it's all over the place but i do think that one kind of theme will shine through and we have a wonderful director i don't want to forget to mention goldie patrick who is also one so the system, so the submissions are blind. So we don't know who has submitted, at least I don't know. I guess AJ uh, Muhammad, who's our literary manager, they know. But most of the panel that's selecting the plays have no idea who wrote which play. And so prior to selecting the plays, I had asked Goldie Patrick to, delect, to direct the festival, to direct all the plays we chose this season. And Goldie uh, said yes, but they said, you know, I've also, uh, I also write, so I'd like to submit something to the festival. And I was like, yeah, go ahead. You know, you know, I wasn't too worried about the conflict because we've, you know, we had actors who were writers. We've done it before and it's always been love and, and worked out. But I was like, we're going to get 60 submissions. What are the chances that Goldie's play is going to be selected? You put it out there. You put it out there. Yeah, so I, I guess Goldie submitted. And then when we select the plays, then at the end of the whole process, as we're announcing them, AJ, I guess, reveals who wrote it and. So Goldie, one of Goldie's plays, uh, hashtag uh, Lakeisha Jefferson, is in the festival. So Goldie will be both directing all seven plays, plus will have a, a play of their own in the festival. That is awesome. <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> what are the odds? But it's it's going to be beautiful. It's I think I've already seen the benefit, even in talking to Goldie about the festival their plans and their concern and their care, I think has not every director has cared, but I think Goldie's care has been amplified because they're also in the position of writer. So they want to take care of all the writers. Right. One of the kind of that mindset of we're only as good as our weakest link. Exactly. Kind of yeah. So Goldie has really put in the time and energy to communicate with the writers, to uh, help and support them to tell the story that they want to tell. Yes. Well, my last question on this part of the interview is, who do you hope have access to this festival? Everybody. I mean, the festival, in my mind, the festival is always a party. It always feels like family. So even if people, it's their first time coming to the festival, they seem to kind of get into the mood and the and the feeling of it. So, uh, so that's what I always want. Like, I just want people with good spirits who are willing to lean in and enjoy themselves and just kind of uh, be open to this concept that you what you're about to see is going to be unexpected in some ways and completely expected in the others. Uh, so I, I always think about that. But, you know, I love it. 
you know, I, I think nowadays, you know, you could pretty much stream anything. So if people aren't in New York, I'd love it if they, uh, you know, went to Frigid and clicked on the link and watched it from Australia or wherever they are, Los Angeles, Alabama, uh, Utah, you know, <laughs> anyone can watch it. Um, so I guess, I guess like all theater makers, we'd like to think that what we're producing and what we're making will appeal to everyone universally, but only because it's so specific, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, I'm sorry, I did lie. I do have one more question because I was I thinking about this for, for when I come. Now, the, the Fire of the Sign Festival runs the 16th of January through the 29th. Yes. There are seven plays that we're going to see. Is it a different play every night or is it the seven every night? So, yes. So the festival has several components. So we have a panel. We have the readings. You know, I think I had mentioned this year we're only going to have two of the readings. We're going to have our alumni spotlight featuring Julianne Hairston. And then Kelly Gerard, our founder, has a play, This Stretch of Montpierre, that we're going to do a reading of as well. So those are the other nights. The 10-minute festival, which is what you'll probably come to if you don't come to Kelly or Julianne's spotlight, which I hope you will, that will be on that uh, the 19th, 20th, and 21st. You'll see all seven 10-minute plays each of those nights. And then it'll be the 27th, the 28th, and the 29th of January, where, again, you'll see all seven of the 10-minute plays. Oh, what? so yeah, you could, well, the fun thing you could do is you can go one weekend, see all seven shows, go the next weekend, different audience. Yes. Another week and see it again, see if you get something different, which is yeah, all like to see a show could, a second time. Yeah, or you could see the, you could come see the festival on, say, the 19th, and then on the 25th, you know, come see Julian's reading of her work, which we're going to do probably three short plays by Julian and then one full length. Because the goal is for anyone who could help Julian's playwriting career uh, leap forward will come and get a good, you know, like a tasting menu, a good feel of, of what uh, Julian's voice is. And then you could come see uh, Kelly's play as well. And, you know, if I want to get greedy with it, then come closing night of the 10 minute plays and see how the plays have grown and how the actors have dropped into their roles or what they've discovered or how the audience, like I said, the audience is a character. Like that's kind of a, yeah. a black tradition with theater and any kind of storytelling, be it church or a movie or theater. That is a character, but they haven't been to rehearsal. So you don't know how they're going to improv. Mm -hmm. or with, mm -hmm. with, so. It should be enjoyable, if nothing else. It will be fun. audience uh, a chance to get to know you a little bit better now mm -hmm. and I want to start by asking you uh, what shows playwrights or composers have inspired you in the past mm, that's a great question so um, my acting career probably got jump-started when I was a kid and I saw a West Side Story so that musical really really impacted me and hit me hard. So I began as an actor. I actually began as a singer. So um, I was in a gospel group and then I had a secular group in college and then I started acting in college. 
Uh, so that's where my career began. So I've been acting for about 25 years and that's my first love and and, and remains my first love. And then um, my wife is a playwright. And so I actually started directing to direct readings of her plays. And I guess uh, some people saw me directing the readings, they asked me to direct their readings. People saw those readings and they started asking me to direct full uh, productions. And that is, and I directed in the Five This Time Festival seasons four and five, I think, or five and six. I directed uh, just one play in each of those seasons. And then I was asked to direct all eight plays in season eight. So my big, I, I'm, music music has always impacted me. So I'd say, you know, West Side Story has been a big impact on me. Michael Jackson, Elvis, that kind of stuff. Playwrights whose work I enjoy. Uh, my wife, Cynthia Grace Robinson, of course. Lynn Nottage, Tennessee Williams, Shakespeare. August Wilson has is great. Nathan Youngerberg is a is a playwright I I love and adore. Angelica Cherry is uh, another incredible playwright whose work I I love and adore. And then acting wise, you know Meryl Streep, yeah, I think is amazing. Denzel Washington, Jack Nicholson. Uh, who else have I loved and admired through the years? Viola Davis is my current uh, muse. Nicholas Cage, you know that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, it's been all over the place. I guess when you get to be my age, you've had a lot of time to have a lot of people influence you. I am right there with you with the uh, West Side Story. Uh, I mean, I'd seen other shows before it, but I remember ninth grade, we had read Romeo and Juliet, and then my teacher put on the film West Side Story and just listened to the overture. I was like, wait a minute, what? What?" And then everybody else is kind of off goofing off. They didn't care, but I was hooked, and I was like, I... I got to do this. I got to do more of this. And I was, I was set between Bernstein, Bernstein's music and Robin's choreography. I was like, yes. I so, want to do that. So I have a funny story. I, if you want to know me, you probably just need to know, you need to know Star Trek, <laughs> you know Elvis, and then you need to know West Side Story. So what happened, I saw it, it was at my local community theater. So, you know, just people in my building were in it. And I was so moved by the end of that musical that I came home, and this is just to let you know how ridiculous I was and probably still am, and started trashing my room, screaming as loud as I could, you know, why do good people have to die? You know, just, you know, just screaming out, you know, I was so heartbroken, you know, about Tony and Riff and, you know, Bernardo and all these things that I was, I just, it was such a visceral reaction for me. Like it just struck me deep in my core in a way that I don't think up until that point in my life, anything had have ever hit me. Like I was distraught. Like, I mean, I was like a, a, a drug craze rock star in, in my room. <laughs> like I was trashing the place. And so that's kind of that same passion for acting, for directing, for producing, for dramaturgy has just stayed with me this whole time, singing all of it. So I love that. Yeah, no, it's I there are people still out there who haven't seen it and I don't understand. I that 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 final chord that da da it gets me every oh. time. I you know I know it's coming, but I still I get all teary-eyed and oh, oh. That's what we, but that's what we're trying to do. I mean, whether it's a 10 minute play, 
a Broadway musical. We are trying to give some of ourselves with the hope that it will touch and move another. Yep. And then we leave and then we go, I had this experience and it lasts forever. Yes. And I want you to go and have this experience so that we can have, we can talk about, you know, because they there's just you don't have a lot of those. They're just few and far between that you remember no. every single thing, every moment, what what the air smelled like, you know, just yes. everything. And and we live in this world now where there's where everybody's almost in their own bubble, where whatever truth your your social media feed tells you, you believe is a universal truth. So this opportunity, again, that's why I'm so impressed with Kelly Gerard and the rest of the people who founded the festival, that they were willing to create a space where you could have a play that is about police brutality, and then another play which is about a Black trans woman whose dream is to be a New York City cop, huh. all in the same evening, you know, and you could see the humanity in all of these stories and the commonality. And now you realize you not only you have a connection to the the mother who is mourning their son who was tragically killed, but you also have a connection and an understanding of the trans woman who wants to work in law enforcement. And I mean, I just can't think of a better thing to do with my time. That's amazing. Oh, I can't wait for January. <laughs> This is great. It's going to be dope. Well, great speaking, speaking of great theater, I know you've been really busy, but have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Please go see Ain't No Mo. Yes. Yes. Broadway. I was blessed to direct the, the, when Jordan Cooper, the writer, created the first 10, it was a 10 minute play. And I directed that in season eight. So please, please, please. Buy a ticket, do yourself and anyone you love and care about a favor and have them go see uh, Ain't No Mo. I, I highly recommend that. Um, I also saw another beautiful play called The Bandage Place. Yes. I believe it's still running at the roundabout. I'm not sure. So go check out those play, those two plays for, for sure. And then if you want to do something else, see Wicked. I love Wicked. I sing the, it constantly. And... You know, I'm going to say it, everybody knows it, but Hamilton is just to die for. I mean, I, it's almost become like, I think my two favorite plays of all time are West Side Story and Rent. And I know Hamilton has kind of become like Rent, where either you love it or you hate it. Um, I personally love it, but I understand that people aren't digging it, but I would recommend that. So yeah, so please go see Ain't No Mo. Go see The Bandage Place. Fat Ham is about to go to Broadway. I'm so excited for that. That was brilliant. I, I highly recommend that. This summer, it's a little bit far far off, but uh, 48 hours and 48 hours in Harlem has have their festival usually in August. Check that out. That's always a a, a stone gas. You you'll love that. Kimberly Akimbo, I think you uh, is a beautiful play which I I, I love. Uh, oh, there's so many things. Oh my goodness, Bad Cinderella. I think is coming out on Broadway as well. I'm trying to think of some non-Broadway things that people can see. Yeah, come to the Fidesz Time Festival, no doubt. If you're in, if you're in South Carolina, on, in Hilton Head Island, in March, I'm directing a play, uh, world premiere of a play called Mitchellville by Arn Squire. We're doing it out in Hilton Head Island in March. Come check that out. That'll be a. Uh, it's about the first town of I would say freed black people, but it's during the Civil War. Uh, so basically, of of uh, enslaved. It's the first. Uh, in America, uh, the first town of enslaved uh, Black people. 
So wow. uh, check that out. And uh, yeah, just good stuff all around. There's just so much good theater. Just see theater. Support uh, off-Broadway theater and independent theater. If, if, you, if you can't come see the show, buy a ticket anyway. Donate to them because independent theater really is the place where all these artists get a chance to develop the work that you later on see on Broadway or touring or regionally. It always, almost always starts in like a Fire This Time Festival or a New Black Fest or a 48 Hours in Harlem or a Frigid Fest or, um, you know, an Estrogenius Festival or any, any of those type of things. Amen. Cannot agree more. Well, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Uh, I, I I have a very, uh, my wife and I were kind of having a debate about this, but I have a belief system in theater and my wife thinks I should tone down my language when I say it. So this, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to preview or premiere a new way of saying this because usually it has a bunch of cuss words in it. So I'm going to say it, but. My favorite thing about working in theater is not the product, is not the presentation. It is taking care of these superheroes that we call artists, you know, the designers, the stage management team, the actors, the, the writers, caring for them, supporting them, advocating for them, giving them what they need. I love doing that because I believe that's the way that you have a great product and a great presentation. So that's my favorite thing is to bring it to as many spaces as I can. So I had the honor of, I, I taught an acting class at SUNY Purchase and I've had a chance to direct two productions at SUNY Purchase now. And what I love about it is it's academia. So that is the built-in thing. That's the assumption. It's not about the product. It's about the students and what they learn. And so that's my favorite thing. That's why I love uh, working with students as well, because I don't, this is what my wife says I shouldn't say because she says it's hard. Um, my priority is not how well they act. My job is that when these human beings, when these artists, when these actors leave my presence, they feel better than they did when they entered it. Don't tell your wife, but I agree with that as a fellow, as an actor. Yes, yeah, she agrees with it as well. But usually I say, I don't give a boom about whether or not the play is good or bad. I just care about the people. <laughs> Which she doesn't think, she thinks that could be misconstrued or somebody <laughs> could take a snippet of it and not understand it, which I respect. So I'm trying something new here. I say it in that way to people because I have had too many experiences in this business where people sacrifice the humans for the product. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of want to say it in a way that lets people know that if that's what you're about, don't call me. Yeah. So, but I'm working on this. She'll be happy. Uh, um, I'll let her listen to the podcast and see if she approves. And we'll go there. I'm sure she'll have notes. <laughs> I'm going to get an email later on. Uh, yes. <laughs> She's good for an email. Trust me. I am excited to ask my favorite question, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? favorite theater memory. Okay, so I love directing musical theater. And I directed a play just before the pandemic called Till, a musical, which strangely enough was a musical about Mamie and Emmett Till. 
hard to imagine, but I did it. And the, it was a challenging process because the play, when I first received it, it began at Emmett Till's funeral and ended at Emmett Till's funeral. And at the time, the producers thought and the uh, creators thoughts about it was they wanted it to end in kind of a happy uh, musical number. And I remember not agreeing with that and spending months and hours and hours of conversation trying to convince all the stakeholders that that was not the right ending for this play. Yeah. And after much woo, consternation and everything else, they agreed. And so sitting in that theater with a, audience, a full audience with the new ending, which I thought was more on tone and more appropriate to the story, and to see all the stakeholders look over to me afterwards and, and say thank you, that they were grateful that we had made that change, um, especially when a few months later the George Floyd murder was going to happen. They reached out to me again to again thank me for helping that process. That is probably one of the one of my happiest memories because I felt like I was really out there on my own. Like if I was wrong, I was wrong by myself, which is not the way theater generally works. Everything in theater is sort of a compromise of collaboration, but this was really me and, and also the, the actors, uh, the black and brown bodies on the stage also with me saying, no, that ending is not quite right. We need to do this ending and then to see it work and impact people in the audience the way that it did um, is a memory that I will carry with me, not just because it brings me a sense of joy and satisfaction, but it, it inspires me to keep up the fight. That's a wonderful memory. Thank you for sharing that. What is yours? Oh my gosh. You were the first person to ask that. <laughs> it's a tough question. I love tough questions, so I'll throw it back to you. I'll give you one of mine. It's okay. one. Um, it was seeing Paradise Square. Okay. And so I don't get emotionally moved usually. Like I just, uh, I. I don't know. I have no soul. Um, <laughs> but, um, I'm a huge history buff, especially about New York City history. So uh, a friend of mine worked on the show in Chicago and she's like, there's this musical about the five points going to Broadway. And I was like, oh my God, the five points. Like, that's great. And I wasn't sure what to expect, but I had a friend of mine who I was his dresser when he did Bright Star. Um, so I was like, I'm going to go support him. Like, let's do this. And I'm watching the show and I'm just getting completely just submerged in it everything you know just boom well i don't know if you saw paradise square at all i i didn't have but my good friend Dwayne clark was in it oh he was in till also yeah so where jacquina kalutango sings burn i i did see videos of that obviously yes i just i ugly girl cry like i never ugly girl cried in my life I mean, Beautiful. I have never felt, and the thing is, I saw that show five times because I saw it, I saw it on my own. Mm -hmm. and I took my mother-in-law, I took my mother, yes. I took my wife, and I took a friend from out of town. Five times, all five times, same, <laughs> three, action. And then when I was at the Tonys and uh, my wife, you know, her show gets extra tickets and she won the lottery. I'm sitting next to this person I'd never met but yeah, we would we would talk. We got to know each other. And Paradise Square performed. And I thought, where's Akina? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Where is she? And I don't know if you've ever been to the Tonys or not. It's cool to go. But yes. 
you don't see um basically like if you're in the audience it's like seeing the backstage kind of version mm-hmm. because you're not seeing the camera kind of thing so you can see things move early so she enters before you actually see her on tv and she mm-hmm. enters in that black dress and i just grab the this person next to me perfect stranger and i was like oh my god and they're like what and i'm like just hold on we're i didn't think they were gonna do this but you're in for a ride and and again i saw it and i'll never forget that night she just all the emotion and you didn't get none nobody got to see this on tv but before she was even done the entire the entirety of radio city was on their feet and i was like that 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 is why we waited 18 months, but for this moment, and you just, ah. Yes, that is exactly my feeling. So you saw Ain't No More. There's a scene, I don't want to give away too much, but there's a scene towards the end when the final, when the, when, when what is, what is almost characterized as the least of us are finally getting their chance to get on the plane. You know, they're being released. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll say, they're being released. So I've seen Ain't No More six times. And so each time before that scene comes, I'm like you, I'm grabbing the person next to me going, hang on, this is about to rock your world. And then so when Crystal Lucas Perry is playing blue and, you know, just going through all that emotion at the end, it gets me every time. I've seen the play six times. And so I totally relate to that story. And again, I I, I hope the play goes on, enjoys a long life, not just on Broadway, but other other places as well. Because like I said, I, I feel a certain amount of... Um, parenting over it since I was there since uh, nearly the beginning so you help nurture and grow it a little yeah so I, I, I yes exactly so I feel it and the artist and the person and the human being and the human beings I mean the other thing which they've done in this production is they have brought the vast majority of the cast from the beginning all the way through till Broadway which doesn't happen like you know they you you know for a fact they wanted to star cast that thing especially right. a straight you know, a musical, you know, you can probably not, but it's unusual for a non-musical play not to be star cast at this point. And so right. I, I'd like to see that celebrated and be successful because I know as an artist myself, one of my opportunities to be successful and have the career I want is as I'm involved in the, uh, the workshopping of these new plays, being able to go on that journey with the play as opposed to I workshop it and then they bring in Kenny Leon or some other, or Ruben Santiago, you know, heroes of mine, but I too would like to uh, to be given that opportunity. So it, it's, I, I'm watching this Save Ain't No More very carefully uh, for, for, because I love Jordan and also because I'm, I want to see for my own, for my own, you know, how my own career, my own career path as well. Are there any other productions or projects that you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug? So I already mentioned Mitchellville at Lean Ensemble Theater in Hilton Head, South Carolina, which I think runs March 17th through the end of the uh, end of March. So that's like a two week run there. The Fire This Time Festival we've talked about ad nauseum. What I oh, I'm gonna be directing. So I'm going to be directing, I think it'll be announced by then, New Black Fest at the Apollo. I'll be directing uh, Lisa Strom's one-woman show there, which will I think is in April. I want to say the weekend of April 28th, 29th, or something to that effect. So I'll be doing that for New Black Fest. Um, I just agreed to that a couple of days ago. And then there's just a bunch of other things that are kind of just like 
I'm still in meetings for something that's supposed to be done in Europe and, and things of that nature, but I haven't decided if I'm doing them yet. So I'll leave that off. And I will pro I will hope to direct something at SUNY Purchase later this next in the spring as well. That's amazing. Yes, I've been very blessed. I've been very, very blessed. Oh, another thing I should push, the Black, uh, the Best Man, the final chapters on Peacock. Uh, the Best Man is written and directed by one of my good friends, Malcolm D. Lee. They have made it a TV show. I worked on that project. Uh, I have a child in college, so please uh, watch that. The residuals are my favorite thing about SAG. <laughs> So please, everyone, watch The Best Man, the final chapters on Peacock. It's a great show. If you haven't seen The Best Man or The Best Man Holiday, you're missing out. You can watch The Best Man Holiday as well. I get paid for that also. So watch that. But yeah, so that's it. Those are the things I'm doing with the acting. I do voiceover work as well. So in any of that stuff that you see my name, please support because tuition is expensive. Absolutely. Amen to that. Yes. Well, if our listeners want to get more information about the Fire This Time Festival or about you or they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do that? Uh, so I have a, a, a website, CaesarWilliams.com, C-E-Z-A-R, Williams.com. You can email me through there or you can email me at Caesar at CaesarWilliams.com. Uh, but the Fire This Time Festival, go to FireThisTimeFestival.com. Please go to the website. That is where you can buy tickets, get information, stream it, all of that. Learn about the playwrights, learn about our history, learn about our mission, donate. Please donate. We're trying to raise $7,000 this month because we're no longer a showcase. We're now an equity production. Wow. And so we pay these actors equity dollars and it's super, super expensive. And we did not factor in some of the expenses. So we thought we were ready to go and we are not. So we are about $7,000 short. So I, I I ask everyone to please make a donation. You know, if you want to, no, no, no amount is too small. I mean, I'd rather somebody just donate $7,000 and we're done and easy to go. But if you can't, whatever you can give to support uh, the Fire This Time Festival and our mission of supporting Black writers, please do. Wonderful. Well, let's see what we can do to get that $7,000 to you then. Thank you. Well, as I kept hearing during the red bucket season, no amount is too big. <laughs> <laughs> no, like uh, Jonathan McCrory, who's the artistic director of the National Black Theater Festival, he always says, if you could donate, you know, a dollar, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, ten million dollars, it's all good. <laughs> we can go through this with 18 people or just one. Depends on you. how long you I want mean, this to go. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking all my friends who I think have the means for a thousand dollars, I you know I've sent out my email asking each of them for a thousand dollars. I I I'm a I'm a I'm a God fearing man and I believe in prayer, so I'm not worried. I believe the money will show up, um, and so maybe someone uh, listening to this podcast will be the tool that God chooses to use. I hope I hope one of our listeners can help you out because this this festival sounds amazing and. And the work yes, and please let me know when you're coming, the night you're coming, because we kind of, uh, we have four producers, I should say five, because Daniel Covington has joined us recently. Uh, and so we rotate, so I'm not going to be at every uh, performance, but let me know the night you're going to be there, and I will make sure that I am there as well. Absolutely. Wonderful. 
My guest today has been Caesar Williams, who's the artistic director of the Fire the Sun Festival, which is running January 16th through the 29th at the Crane Theater. Tickets and more information are available at thefirethistimefestival.com or at frigid.nyc. But make sure you check out thefirethistimefestival.com because that's where you can get all the information about the playwrights and the shows, as well as donate to the festival to help them reach their $7,000 goal they need to hit for this month. And just donate to the festival in general. Help small uh, off and off off-Broadway theater out. So check this festival out i'm going to be attending this sounds incredible the stories that are being told sound incredible so stay tuned to when we're going to be attending hopefully you can join us there as well so until next time i'm andrew cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones unwrap your candies and keep your masks on and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper thank you If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.